0: This is Amazing Avenue in Conversation, a podcast where we invite interesting people to talk about themselves, the Mets, and more. My name is Brian Salvatore, and my guest for this inaugural episode is Ron Darling. Ron needs no introduction, though I'll give him one in just a minute anyway. Before we begin, I want to note that this interview took place on Monday, April 1st, and so was recorded before the back and forth between Ron and Lenny Dykstra over a story in Ron's new book, 108 Stitches, took place. We do discuss that story and lots more in our chat. And so, without further ado, here's Ron Darling. All right, I am joined on the show today by Ron Darling, the author of 108 Stitches, but not just that, the voice of the New York Mets, an 86 Met championship player, a beloved part of the Mets franchise. Thank you for being here, Ron. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, my pleasure. So I read the book in about uh 2 days. I flew through it. And I I really enjoyed the book for a lot of reasons, but I think the number 1 thing I enjoyed about the book was just how honest it was. You know, I've read a lot of ball players memoirs and sometimes they're just they're full of fluff and there's no sort of self-reflection, there's no uh controversial opinions in it. And I felt your book was very honest. So when you were putting this together, how important to yeah. you was it to make it a More honest portrayal of your time in baseball?
1: You well, know, it's interesting. I think as you get older, right, you become more honest uh, uh, with the distance between you and when you did things. And, you know, the nature of the book, 108 Stitches, was, you know, there's 108 stitches in a baseball. Um, I wanted that interconnectivity with the stories and the personalities so that at the end you would have a fully formed baseball, just what the stitches do uh, to a baseball. But also, I thought, uh, for good luck, 108 is always a good number, played on a team. that 108 games. And I think, you know, I think what I was trying to do in the game, and I probably had 200 stories. So the most important was to get the ones that connected. So that eliminated stories uh, right away. But also, I think, I don't know, as I've gotten older, and this is my third book, I think my books have become more honest, and, and honest in the sense that uh, things I've heard and seen, things I've done. In my past, warts and all, that uh, I would love to uh, take back. And uh, you know, I, I think uh, I don't. I don't know if it's cathartic for everyone, uh, but it's cathartic uh, for me. And um, and you know, b- baseball is a very complicated and beautiful sport. In that it's eight months a year, if you include spring training, and a lot can happen because there's a lot of downtime. How you spend that downtime uh, is is lends itself to. Uh, how supple where you are, and, you know, you, you feel as though, I feel as though um, I could have been more.
0: One of the parts of the book that I think is going to get a lot of attention, and I don't want to talk about the big number, the, the big sort of moment, which is you you're talk about an interaction with Oil Can Boyd and Lenny Dykstra, and you talk about yeah. how you stood up by the sidelines while Lenny was being, let's say, not kind to, to Oil Can. And, yeah. you know, racism is has a long history in baseball. And I think today we're seeing a different sort of bias in baseball, which is, you know, you'll watch a player play. And if it's a white player, you'll often hear that the player has, has heart and has spunk. But if a Latin player does, does a similar thing, you'll see they're they're playing the game the wrong way sometimes, you know, or they're not showing enough respect. So how do you think that the, the sort of, the tenor of acceptance and the tenor of racism has changed since you stopped playing.
1: Yeah, well, there, there's still, I think you, one, uh, thank you, that's a very intelligent question. Two, um, I think, you know, this certain, uh, certainly latent uh, racism uh, with regard to every kind of player that plays. Um, what I was trying to write about um, as I stood on the sidelines is that, you know, I wrote this in the, in the heat of Colin Kaepernick and um, deciding to be on the right side of history and not the wrong side of history. Uh, baseball players tend to have this fraternity of anything goes and, um, you know, whatever you do is in the spirit of trying to win the ball game. And um, I just think that uh, uh, I'm embarrassed uh, by my complicitness um, as I look back on my life, I don't know if I could have changed it any, any different because I, you know, I can't be disingenuous. As soon as um, uh, Lenny hit that home run, most important hit we had in that World Series, um, I was as happy as anyone else. Um, but I guess I'm just uh, um, just ashamed, I guess, and embarrassed that um, that I I did not I was not braver. And on the on the uh, better side of history, and I I hope moving forward, it's a lesson for me to to be on that right side.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's really interesting to watch baseball from a perspective of I mean I've been watching baseball for over thirty years. You know it's it's yeah. an important part of my life, but you sort of start to see how the game isn't just changing on the field, but it's changing off the field and. I would hope that if that happened today, the incident that you know you described with Lenny Dijkstra, I would hope the yeah. players today would be more willing to set up and say something because just the because the the world is a better place in terms of that you know, but do you, yeah, but you're around the game more than I am. do you think the reaction will be the same if that happened today
1: I, I don't i don't I don't think it would happen today I think uh the players are much more sophisticated braver smarter uh uh than our players i think they're uh, more aware i think just playing uh, with black athletes and a higher percentage of latin american athletes they certainly um have to be uh more inclusive or they're just not going to be able to um, play in today's game uh, there's always outliers on both sides uh, um, that are going to exist uh, in every part of the world and in every part of any kind of profession but i think um, uh, no, I don't think it would happen today. I don't think that would be a a rallying cry uh, for anyone or or any profession. Uh, like I said, I wrote this in the in the heat of, of Colin Kaepernick, who I, I really admire and admire what he's chosen to do, and um, you know, politically that puts me in a, 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 a sensitive place, um, but. Uh, I, I think that you know i had my uh, I had my moment to act uh, uh, many times i'm sure in in my life to act right on the side of right uh, or on the side of indifference and uh, um, right is going to be uh, moving forward from the last few years uh, many years indifference um, makes me ashamed
0: well you know i i i I certainly respect the the shame that you feel you know we we've all done things we've we've been ashamed of but i think it's really great that you're speaking out about it so bravo for that i I really appreciate that in the book Uh, i want to talk a little bit about the difference between playing today versus playing when you were coming up you know when i was reading your 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 book you know the chapter about coming up to the mets and just you know throughout the system having people who were not giving the rookies the time of day, whether it's your manager in AAA or your manager in the big leagues or players that, you know, spit tobacco on your nice clean jersey, things like that. You know, there was a lot of sort of toughening up of rookies that happened then. For I guess it's a two-part question. The first thing is, do you think that helped you in any way or was that just purely, you know – a a boys' club that was out of control? And then secondly, do you think that those type of things are still happening today, or has that also softened with time?
1: Well, um, to answer your latter question, yeah, certainly it would not be tolerated uh, today. If you're on the team, you're 125th of the team. Uh, Are there different rules for different stars? Uh, Certainly. uh, The 25th person on the team, Probably is not going to be looked at the same way as a as a star second baseman is. Uh, that that will always be the case uh, because that's the nature uh, of sports. Um, you know, it, it's it's good and bad. I think that you know in my day, you know there was not a bullying is too strong of a word, but there was a old boy network that you had to pass through that gauntlet or scrum uh, to uh, prove yourself worthy. And if he didn't do that, um, it was very difficult. I think the thing I found very hard was, um, you know, you're either in or you're out. And um, I chose to be in uh, as opposed to out. And uh, and that's a very difficult thing to do. I, I, I wish that, you know, more outside thinkers, free spirits, whatever. We're seeing the same thing with Trevor Bauer, right? Mm-hmm. Trevor Bauer thinks a lot differently than you know, your average ball player. So uh, there's no gray area. People either really like Trevor Bauer or dislike him. I think he's incredibly brave uh, to be uh, out on an island uh, like he is. I was not uh, brave enough. I just kind of bought into, while I'm at the ballpark, I'm going to be a ball player kind of thing. Um, And, you know, but the way I I think it works both ways is that um, occasionally what will happen now when everyone's one twenty-fifth of the team is that I think players at some point, um, things are so good uh, for, for how they do things is that they don't always kind of uh, appreciate the people that have, that are doing it right now at a high level for a long period of time. And uh, you are always uh, known to make sure you understood that uh, is that the reason you are not, up where he is, because for the last ten years he's won fifteen games and completed a hundred or whatever. So mm-hmm. there was a, uh, a a much more interest in the history of the game, uh, and I think the players today really are much more interested in how they take care of themselves, the process of getting ready for a game, and that that is enough. You know, getting ready, being prepared, doing the process, and then hopefully it'll show results in the game. Sure.
0: Yeah, that, I think that's a really interesting way to look at sort of playing then versus playing now. Um, one of the things that I just loved about the book is as I'm reading this, every page I'm turning, I just feel your passion for the game and how much you love baseball coming off of the page. And so how has that love of baseball changed from going on the field to in the broadcast booth? Do the same things get you excited today or is, is it a different sport almost watching it from, you know, the broadcast booth versus watching it from the dugout?
1: Well, uh, different things get me excited uh, today. You know, the, the one thing, I'm, two things that most people miss about baseball is competition, mm-hmm. and second, the bantering uh, back and forth between players. That's, that's a lot of fun. Well, I get the bantering with Keith and Gary in the booth, so that is taken care of. So um, certainly the competition uh, that I missed uh, so dearly Um, I don't think about as much anymore. Um, I think about the game and and hopefully a more cerebral way. Um, Not only how do players think, how do they get prepared, what they were thinking uh, in really good plays, what they were thinking when they made mistakes, um, and managers. Uh, I do a lot more managing uh, now with managers because uh, a couple of reasons. One, there was a day when managers were just off limits because they had so much experience and, So smart, and uh, it it was their way or the highway kind of thing. And and I think, with uh, you know, managed today with less experience and also with the analytics involved, you're seeing a lot of moves that are some conventional, some unconventional. And I'm trying to figure out when unconventional uh, is supposed to be used or conventional is supposed to be used. (laughs) And it's an interesting, uh, fun puzzle to try to get through.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of the things that I just adored in the book is there are all these chapters that are sort of name association right you tell a story about a player that you played with that you um that you played against that you know someone that managed you so if you don't mind i have a couple of people that you broadcast about and i wanted to sort of okay. just pick your brain about some of these players uh, that you've you know had experience with the first one is you know the most significant met of the last 25 years or so and that's david wright what do you think of david wright give us a good david wright
1: story um, well, you know, I think all the stories uh, that people tell about him are stuff I certainly don't have to say. You know, uh, as good a person as I've ever seen, that ever wore a uniform, as good a representative of his ball club uh, or when he played. Um, as, as far as, as David um, as, as a person, I just find him um, to be a lot funnier uh, than people will, will notice. I've said a couple of things on the air. Uh, that he's brought to my attention, that we've both had a real big laugh about. Um, I think he uh, has an unbelievable love for the game, and I think that's one of the reasons why it was so difficult for him to go through what he did at the end uh, of his career. Um, and then, then the, the most important thing, because you're only judged as a ball player, kind of off your baseball card. And uh, for a long stretch of time, he was um, an elite Player. and i think that you know for guys like don mattingly or to a lesser degree keith hernandez you know people that have had amazing stretches of career but have not been able to finish it on their terms um is a shame not only for them but all of us who love the game absolutely
0: what about johan santana
1: um royalty i felt like he was the uh Uh, The royal prince or king or mayor or something of Venezuela, whenever I met him, um, there just was a regalness uh, around not only what he was off the field, but certainly how he took the field and his poise and body language on the mound um, are something that uh, I wish I had played with him to try to copy. Um Dwight, you know, lucky enough to play with the great Dwight Goodman, and He has just a youthful, youthful exuberance and, and, and beauty to uh, the way he threw the baseball. Uh, with Johan, I felt it was, though, so, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to dictate the at-bats. I'm going to dictate this game. And you can try to compete against me. But like most others, you will come up short. I mean, that's kind of uh, how I saw him on the field, and and I'm just uh, so happy. And I've never done this to any pitcher, but after he pitched his no-hitter, I went downstairs and gave him a hug. And that was out of character for me, probably for him also. But I, I did want to give him a hug because of all the pitchers that have pitched in a Mets uniform, there's a lot of good ones, right? And uh, I think it was important, at least it was important to me. I shouldn't speak for anyone else. It was important for me to, uh, to have royalty like Santana be the first one. Um, I think it was important to the, uh, anyone that has pitched at a high level uh, for the Mets.
0: I want to ask about one of Johan's teammates, who's one of my favorite Mets of all time, and that's R.A. Dickey.
1: Well, R.A. R. Dickey is um, so much more than a pitcher. No, I mean, he's so much more than a Cy Young Award winner. He's so much more than uh, a number one pick. You know, uh, he's transformative as a human being. Um, he uh, took his position for a short time uh, on a national stage and changed the discussion uh, for some children all over the world. And uh, you know, that to me is. Uh, much more important than anything he did on the field. And he did some amazing things on the field. And what he did in the Cy Young Award year um, was a beautiful thing to watch from the booth every fifth day. But, uh, you know, how many athletes transformed the lives of others? Um, not many. Um, and uh, R.A. de I'll remember him for that.
0: All right. Uh, last one for this little round here, and that's Bartolo Colon.
1: Well, Bartolo Colon, um, he is uh, um, Shakespeare. Uh, he's Falstaff. Um, he's uh, uh, so many things all put into one. And I hope it doesn't overcloud uh, his abilities as a pitcher. Um, you know, he had things happen in his life as we discussed mine that I'm sure that he'd like to erase. And, um, but you can't erase the ability to get people out at such an advanced age. And in a day and age where every person I've ever seen get people out um, as they get older invent pitches as they go to a point where they've got four, five, six pitches, Bartolo's the only person I've ever seen that went to one pitch and just mastered that. Um, yes, did he mix in a couple of yes, did he throw occasional slider, all of those are true, but I've never seen anyone um, be able to master uh, the way a ball sinks and um, and moves in the strike zone like he could with simple finger pressure um, almost like a, 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 his hands were as valuable as a great pianist um, and uh, of course he will You'll remember the home run, and, and uh, that was one of the great. Uh, and Gary said it. Gary Cohn said it's one of the great memories in Mets history. It will. It'll be sure. But I, I think I think I'll always remember is that when he really needed it, he could throw ninety-three miles an hour, and we marvel at Noah Syndergaard, who is in his prime, who can throw uh, ninety-nine miles an hour. So that means that 20 years from now, Noah would only have to lose six miles an hour on his fastball to be able to match the great cologne. Wow. That's a sobering, sobering way to look at it. It is.
0: Just a couple of quick fun ones to, uh, to end our chat here, because I know you're a very, very busy man. Uh, you've said that you think Noah Syndergaard's going to win the Cy Young this year. What is it about him yeah. this spring that you saw that you think this is the year for Noah?
1: Um, it really wasn't the spring I thought. Um, I saw it in spring training. I saw it at the end of last year, um, you know going twice and I know it's hard to judge September, but pitching nine innings twice, uh, pitching his first shutout uh, on the last game of the season, uh, uh, should be a blueprint to him about how good he can be. And um, I also think it's a perfect storm. I think he's a year better. A year uh, more experience. Um, he pitched on the same team that had the Cy Young Award winner, so he sees excellence every fifth night. I just think he's really in a, a good spot. I think in '86, I might might have finished fifth in the in the Cy Young Award voting, and that'd be the highest I ever finished. But I, always, I felt like I had that perfect storm then. Dwight was coming off a Cy Young Award win when I was at the best I was ever going to be because. You know, my physical gifts matched my uh, um, intellectual gifts about getting people out. Um, And I knew that was going to be my best shot uh, to have a great year. Um, Mine ended up fifth. He certainly uh, has elite, elite talent. Uh, And I think that, you know, this is the year he puts himself in elite status.
0: How do you feel about the proposed uh, three batter minimum rule coming into effect next year?
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge uh, fan of it because, uh, like the other rules, whether it was uh, the Buster Posey rule or the Ruben Tejada rule, let's call it that, Chase. I don't want to call it Chase something rule. will call it Ruben Tejada rule. <laughs> uh, when we legislate these new things into the game, we don't know the collateral damage or effect that it'll have. And, um, you know, there are many times in the game where uh, one batter, one pitcher is uh, the way to go. Um, I don't think it'll quicken the game as much as they think. Second, uh, and I think this is more important, you might put some pitchers and harm's away, because there are many pitchers uh, on a given night in the bullpen and the manager will come out and say to him, say, hey, can, I, can you give me one batter tonight? And they say, yeah. you know, So they'll tough it out to get one out for your team of the 27 that you need uh, uh, to get a victory. And I think that's really important. And the third thing is that, and I don't, I don't know, you can't legislate this. You can only hope that teams think more in this way. Um, I think there's enough uh, thought about injuries in this game that uh, I don't think uh, that any team is doing uh, a, a, a job on pre- preventing pitchers' injuries uh, that is revolutionary and that will change the game. So let's assume we're going to continue to have injuries, whether the starting pitchers throw 165 innings or they throw 200 innings. Um, The only way to change time of game and pace of game, but more importantly, time of game, if you have interest in that, is that uh, there were 41 complete game starts. There were more uh, last year, but a couple were rainouts. 41 nine-inning complete game starts. The average time of game in those games was two hours and 88 minutes. So, um, yes, uh, I can understand trying to limit uh, how many relievers you use. I think it's going to put relievers in harm's way. But let's take these big, fine athletes um, that you pay a lot of money to. Maybe uh, give them a bigger contract earlier in their career so the risk of injury still allows them to – have made a good living in the game, and let's pitch them. Let's pitch them and pitch them hard between 23 and 30, and and if we did that, you would quicken up the game.
0: All right, last question for you, Ron. There's only one question when I read your book that you didn't answer, and I need an answer for this, and (laughs) that is you mentioned you know where the best slice in New York City is. Where is the best slice? (laughs) We need to know.
1: Well, uh, the the best uh, slice that I ever had uh, when I was a kid, just growing up playing in New York City, is a place called the Sutton's uh, that I used to go to uh, in Chelsea in the day. So that's where I got the best slice. Uh, DeFar's, of course, is a place I'll go to. But the best slice in the country, uh, uh, I will uh, tell you, is a place in Hot Springs, Arkansas, of all places, called DeLuca's. And it's owned by a man named Anthony Valinotti from Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I've been there only once before in my life, and uh, it, it changed my mind, one, about what pizza tastes like, and two, changed my mind that the only place you can get a good slice is in New York.
0: I don't know if you can going hear that, but that's the sound of everybody trying to book a trip to arkansas to get a slice of pizza
1: right now hey listen I, i've been there it's tough to get there so good luck
0: <laughs> ron where can folks <laughs> find you on the internet i, I know you're a recent uh, twitter adoptee so uh where do you want people yeah. to check you out
1: yeah i'm at uh at ron darling uh, jr uh, r the d and the j are capitalized uh that's my twitter account um i'm not on it today certainly or even this week uh, certainly because i have uh, um people tweeting in my favor uh, to let let everyone know where I'm at. But uh, like you said, I'm literally doing one thing after another for the next three or four days. Uh, But you can find me there. And um, occasionally i have a run where I I love interacting with the fans and and, and that's fun. Um, uh, And as far as anything else, uh, the Gary Keith and Ron Instagram account seems to still be working um, as far as being funny. And we're trying to make it funny. Um, And so you can find us in our silly antics there. Well,
0: thank you for all you do for the game. Thank you as a Mets fan for the great commentary, the great memories. And 108 Stitches is available right now. Go pick it up. Thank you so much, Ron Darling.
1: Thank you very much for a great interview
0: well folks thank you for joining us on this inaugural edition of amazing avenue and conversation this is one of five new podcasts we have from amazing avenue so please go to AmazonAvenue.com, check out all those new podcasts and stay tuned for future installments of amazing avenue and conversation fridays at AmazonAvenue.com. so until next time let's go mets